From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Today, we're discussing inflammatory bowel disease with Dr. Joseph Valentino, who's an assistant professor of surgery at Upstate. He takes care of adults with inflammatory bowel disease. Thank you for your time, Dr. Valentino. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Now, before we talk about treatments, um, I'd like to get an understanding about what inflammatory bowel disease is. Is it an autoimmune disease? So it certainly uh, has an immune com a component. It, uh, the immune system definitely uh, plays a role. I'm not sure that's exactly the term that I would use, but it is a significant uh, uh, part of uh, dealing with inflammatory bowel disease. So we have this inflammatory process and it's probably a, a mixture of genetic components um, as well as environmental factors. And a lot of that is still uh, uh, being evaluated and trying to figure out exactly uh, what parts um, uh, seem to uh, cause uh, this disease process. So we might not understand entirely where the inflammation comes from. Right, and I think we're gaining uh, information, um, you know, certainly as, as time goes on, I think if we uh, had all of the exact details, we'd have, uh, you know, even better treatments than we do. But I, I think as our knowledge expands, it does uh, help us to continue to manage this disease uh, more effectively. Is it a disease that people are born with or do you see it developing later in life? Um, so the timing of the disease, uh, uh, many people are affected at a younger age. There does seem to be another peak uh, later in life. So. Um, being a certain age does not necessarily exclude you from the possibility of being diagnosed with inflammatory uh, bowel disease. Um, as I, I mentioned, there does seem to be at least a, gen a genetic predisposition. We do see um, a, uh, a kind of a familial pattern, at least in certain cases. And what I mean by that is, is some people who share common genetic uh, background um, may have an increased likelihood of, of uh, having disease. And there are certain uh, genetic abnormalities or at least uh, uh, genetic traits that may increase the chance that that, that disease would happen. And a lot of that seems to, um, you know, if, if you think of it maybe even as genetics might um, impact the, the likelihood that an environmental trigger would end up causing your process, that might be uh, a way to look at it. Is inflammatory bowel disease a dangerous condition? Are there... Um complications that go with it? It definitely can have a big impact on somebody's uh, quality of life and and even potential uh, potentially quality or quantity rather uh, of life. So, so yes, there are definitely complications that can take place uh, related to inflammatory bowel disease. Um, you know, that the inflammation that can happen within the GI tract can cause bleeding uh, in uh, stricturing perforations or something has a hole in it and that can obviously have infectious complications it can make somebody pretty sick um, and then even predisposed to cancer so um, most definitely uh, if if you are diagnosed with it or if there's a concern for it carrying through uh, with that workup um, and making sure you're established with all the right physicians ends up being uh, very important um, to both try to limit the chances of something like that happening. And also, if we're unfortunate enough to be in a situation where we're dealing with some of these complications, make sure that you have the right physicians on board to help out. 
Can you talk about the difference between ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease? Are those two different things? So they fall under the umbrella of inflammatory bowel disease. Ulcerative colitis uh, should be confined to the uh, the colon. It's a more continuous disease uh, starting uh, down at the anal canal and carrying back for uh, a variable distance. Uh, and it is affecting that mucosal surface, that, that inner lining. Um, uh, the, the Crohn's disease is, uh, uh, can affect anywhere from the mouth to the anus. So it, it, it has a broader range uh, in, in which uh, it can show up. It's a, a full thickness uh, disease. Um, and when I was mentioning some of those things, uh, certainly perforation and, and all that can happen in, in either diagnosis, but, uh, but some of these full thickness uh, you know, phenomena and some of this penetrating disease that we'll see with Crohn's uh, with the fistulas and abscesses and those sorts of things may may be um, more prevalent in that particular disease process. So, um, trying to distinguish those two can sometimes be a challenge, at least when they're confined to the colon. So, some people even fall into a category of indeterminate colitis, where we may think that it's one diagnosis versus the other, um, but sometimes uh, even if we think it's ulcerative colitis, uh, later on, um, you know, other manifestations may show up and will, uh, that will be indicative of Crohn's disease. So how would a patient come to learn that they have an inflammatory bowel disease? What are some of the symptoms that they may notice? Uh, so, uh, you know, the GI tract is a significant component, although not necessarily the only uh, area in which these, these diseases can uh, show up, but it could be abdominal pain, bleeding, uh, you know, per rectum, a change in bowel habits. Um, so basically these kind of symptoms that will trigger us to start doing some sort of a workup. And as we do that, um, you know, kind of work our way down all the potential causes that's when we, uh, you know, may identify the presence of this, uh, you know, this inflammation or uh, inflammatory bowel disease. Are there specific tests to be done that would give you a diagnosis to be sure? Is there like a blood test? So there ends up being a combination of testing, um, and that can include endoscopy, imaging, uh, laboratory evaluation uh, that will uh, sort of uh, steer us towards the diagnosis. Um, so, you know, as part of that workup, it may include upper and lower endoscopy. So a lot of people are familiar with colonoscopies, but basically looking at the GI tract with the camera uh, can involve in, in abdominal imaging. So CT scans or uh, MRIs that, uh, that let us evaluate you know, the bowel in between the small bowel. Um, there is laboratory testing that can sort of show us an inflammatory component and even some, some serologic testing that may indicate that uh, that the diagnosis is likely uh, inflammatory bowel disease, but it ends up being this, uh, you know, this combination of testing that that lets us identify not only the disease but the pattern of disease. I'd like to remind listeners that this is Upstate Medical University's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Joseph Valentino, an assistant professor of surgery at Upstate. Once someone knows they have inflammatory bowel disease, what can be done? So at that point, hopefully we're uh, uh, referred to the right people. Establishing with a gastroenterologist actually is an important step. And one of the big reasons for that, again, is to, to make sure we understand exactly, you know, where the disease is, what extent, what sort of problems might you have related to your disease. And once we uh, know the, the location, the, the severity, that 
can help us figure out what medications might help keep things uh, in check. And so uh, getting onto the right medical therapy to try to control the inflammation uh, ends up uh, ends up being uh, very important. Since this uh, involves the gastrointestinal tract, is diet um, a concern as well? So uh, diet in and of itself is not going to uh, you know, treat or cure the disease. Um, uh, you know, whether some uh, modifications to a diet might impact inflammation uh, could be uh, a reason for discussion. A lot of times there are patients who will heavily modify their diet, uh, and it may be because they already are developing these, these points of narrowing or blockage, and that uh, that's um, ends up being a, a critical way that they're they're able to keep eating. Uh, that they'll have to watch things that would pass through in bulk that might, you know, block up their tract or something that tends to trigger, you know, diarrhea or something like that. So um, it is uh, it is pretty common. I think that these patients will um, change their diets, um, but that does not replace. Um, medical therapy or uh, in certain circumstances, surgical therapy. At what point might surgery be um, something that someone would consider? So there are a number of reasons that somebody might end up in an operating room. And a lot of the times it's when disease is either very refractory to our, our medical treatments. We can't keep uh, the disease in check very well. And, and it sort of breaks through what we're able to, to throw at it to try to keep those symptoms under control. So, uh, you know, failure of medical therapy is a common reason that patients will end up in an operating room. Sometimes there are also complications, you know, some of those things that I've alluded to a few times already where, you know, maybe the, the bowel starts to narrow and it blocks up. And, you know, if you have a mechanical obstruction, then things just can't pass downstream. And that may be a reason that someone needs an operation. If it's starting to cause infection where, it's uh, creating an abscess, like a pocket of infection, or if it's freely perforated into the abdomen, where somebody might be getting very sick from that, you know that may drive us to uh, to need to do surgery. If there's very severe uh, bleeding, that may be another indication in certain circumstances. Um, the uh, the risk of cancer. So sometimes uh, you know this uh, elevated chance that somebody might develop cancer that may uh, picking up precancers or cancerous changes may. Uh, make us decide that surgery might be uh, the right move as well. And then actually there can uh, be other things, even such as perianal disease, uh, and particularly in Crohn's disease, where people can develop abscesses infections. And it's a little bit different than some of the abdominal surgery, but, uh, but still can, uh, can require surgical intervention in order to keep those things uh, in check. So in the operations that you perform, are you removing some of the colon or some of some pieces of the intestine where the disease or the inflammation is particularly bad? So, um, yeah, the, the operation that, um, you know, would, uh, would apply to a given patient does depend on not both what disease they, they have, or that we think they have as well as you know, where that disease is located. So if we're talking about colon inflammation, if we think it's ulcerative colitis, then generally we're taking out the colon. And uh, you know, the old gold standard is creating what's called an endoleostomy, where we bring up the end of the small bowel uh, through the belly wall and, and where somebody would have a bag on their side. Um, but uh, especially in, in more elective circumstances, um, uh, 
or something called uh, iliopouch anal anastomosis. Uh, the most common configuration or shape of it is something called a J pouch. Um, and what we do there is uh, basically reshape the small bowel to create a reservoir, a new sort of storage area uh, for uh, for stool, and then we're able to attach that down to the top of the uh, the anal canal. And that's a way where we um, are able to potentially reestablish uh, gastrointestinal continuity, sort of let things still go downstream. And there's a lot to that, and it's it's uh, very important to have the right discussions with the patient, both about what surgery entails, potential complications, and expectations afterwards. Uh, but uh, um, but definitely a, a good option for a large number of our patients. You know, for Crohn's disease, it often is a little bit uh, different, and um, you know, let's say even rather than just the the colon, it may involve the small bowel. And you ask, is it just taking things out? Well. A lot of the times we are doing a resection. We're removing the part that's just too diseased or too problematic, something that has scarred or, or developed some sort of a problem that we um, were not able to fix it medically. Um, and so we'll remove that section. Um, there are times though when we're trying to preserve gut length because you, you're born with a certain amount of, of gut to begin with, and we've got to try to get you through the rest of your life with what you've got. Um, and so rather than removing it, we may do something like a strictureplasty, where instead we reshape the bowel. And I think that's actually one of the very interesting uh, parts of surgery for inflammatory bowel disease. It's trying to figure out when do you apply which technique. Um, it's almost uh, like a complex puzzle and just trying to figure out um, you know, what is the, the best option that still leaves the, the most length when we're done. Does an operation cure ulcerative colitis? So for ulcerative colitis, um, I would not necessarily use the term cure, but it can certainly, um, uh, I guess, almost in a sense, I guess, the GI portion of disease that, that can be the, or the case, rather, um, in that we're removing that, uh, that colonic inflammation. There's often a short cuff of, of uh, what's called an anal transition zone that can sometimes still get some inflammation in it, something, uh, sometimes something that we need to keep an eye on. There uh, are extra intestinal manifestations that, um, that sometimes we take into consideration, but um, it's definitely, I would say, one of the re rewarding things about, um, you know, uh, ulcerative colitis and moving towards a J-pouch is sometimes these patients will have just a very rough quality of life and, uh, and doing an operation like that can suddenly, you know, give them their life back. So it definitely can be very uh, beneficial for them. So life could improve. I was going to ask if there's restrictions afterward or what, what is life like after you go through one of these operations? Um, so, uh, hopefully better, you know, it, uh, so the J pouch, for instance, you know, that's a lot of it does come down to talking about, um, you know, I mentioned preoperative expectations. We're not necessarily restoring you to what things might've been like before you were ever diagnosed with the disease, but a lot of these people have been through a pretty rough quality of life related to their disease. And even if they still go a little bit more frequently, uh, or maybe can't defer as long as they they could have you know defer a bowel movement rather as long as they could have beforehand. It it is uh, often much better than what they had experienced preoperatively. You know, uh, using that term, uh, you know, cure too for Crohn's disease. You know, just to kind of distinguish here, 
um, you know, it, it's not a, a cure and we don't have a, a cure for it. We have ways to sort of keep things in check. And really surgery there, a lot of it is is kind of damage control. It's trying to um, to remove these segments that have just become so problematic. So afterwards, um, you know, what what does life look like? Well, hopefully better. It's one of the um, kind of unfortunate but also incredible things about a number of patients with inflammatory bowel disease is their ability to adapt. They are often so used to uh, to having uh, this disease and things sometimes progress and sometimes it could be gradual uh, and sometimes even a little bit more rapid than that. But I think sometimes they almost forget what normal felt like. And sometimes you put them through an operation and you get rid of this segment and all of a sudden they can eat things that they haven't been able to eat in a long time. They, they have uh, less pain than they've had in a long time. And that part is extremely you know, rewarding. Now we still want to get them on all the right medical therapy so that we can try to maintain that, that control, maintain that quality of life for as long as we can. And maybe we end up in an operating room again. In fact, there's a good chance that we do, um, but hopefully we're doing it um, you know, as far out and under the best circumstances that we can. Well, Dr. Valentino, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Dr. Valentino is an assistant professor of surgery at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's HealthLink on Air.